Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and this is the second hour of today's show, which will be a continuation in the first half hour of Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. A lot of great questions have come in, and we still have time for yours. So if you have a passage or uh, something that you're struggling with, something you've heard in your life, maybe you've been uh, reluctant to ask your pastor, and you just don't want to approach that uh, you can let you can approach us. So send your question over eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I want to start with a one that just came in, and this is so uh, painful for me to read. And I know your heart is. Uh, you guys have will have very sensitive hearts with a solid biblical answer. So I appreciate your response in advance. And the uh, note says, "My twenty year old daughter passed away in September from an accidental drug overdose. She." was struggling with depression and she uh, when she left for college. She was always a believer and attended church and Christian youth camps. She was active in her school, peer leader classes, and had a heart for Jesus. My question I'm struggling with is, what if she didn't get to repent before she went to sleep one evening after taking a pill? I'm heart sick. I am too. I, I, I just have seen too much of this. It is so painful and for this family... Our hearts go out to you. This yeah. is not what we expect in life. This is not why we have children. Tom, but, before we answer that this question, I, I know we will. Can we just pray for this dear family? Yeah. Lord, you know this family. You know what they're struggling with. You know the, the frustration, the what-ifs, and the if-onlys. Lord, bring them peace. Bring them an understanding that their daughter, that you loved her more than even they did. And, Lord, we're confident, and I think we can show biblically that she's with you. So, Lord, speak to us now and give us your word. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's talk about the biblical understanding of her, um, where she is. You know, it's interesting. In John 5, Jesus says, The moment you place your faith in me, you have passed from death to life. He doesn't say at the last moment, if you make a mistake and sin, you're out. Mm. And so I am confident. I would say to this family, I would preach this if I was doing the funeral. Your daughter... Yeah, why she did that, only the Lord knows. But that doesn't eliminate her from his grace and his love. And she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus at one time in her life, and Jesus has been there. And I know that when she passed away, Jesus was, she was not alone. Jesus was there with her, took her by the hand, and walked her into the kingdom of God. You know, this concept of our assurance of salvation, that once you believe and are saved, you're saved for all of eternity, comes up in Scripture over and over again, and yet... So many Christians struggle with this idea of whether or not I can sin my way out of his graces or can I lose my salvation? What if, what if, what if? And there are so many passages that, for example, he gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of Christ Jesus. Your salvation is kept in heaven for you, shielded by God's power until that day. And uh, so, yeah, this concept of be having full assurance of faith that 
that he began a good work and he will carry it out. I mean, over and over, God declares that once you are forgiven of all of your sin, past, present, and future, it's a done deal. And that young woman's name, as the uh, Revelation tells us, was written in the book of life, whether at that youth camp or at that church or wherever. And once your name is written in the book of life, there are no erasers. You are there as part of the kingdom of God. Beautiful, guys. Thank you for that. Hmm. All right. um, Let's see. What biblical basis do those that believe that you must have the gift of tongues from the Holy Spirit to be saved? Where does that come from? Hmm. Is there a biblical basis for that? Well, you see some of these gifts in Acts, and uh, some want to take the presence of these gifts and apply them to everybody throughout the whole church age. Paul actually... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are the two big places where he talks about the spiritual gifts of wisdom, of knowledge, healing, uh, distinguishing between spirits, different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of those tongues. By the way, tongues in context in both Acts and in Corinthians is different languages. So when the first disciples began to speak in tongues, when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, they began to speak in other languages, and Scripture clearly says that each heard them in their own language, right? So we know it's other languages, not some kind of gibberish, whatever. It's other languages. Now, do all Christians need to speak in tongues to be saved? Well, again, Paul makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts, in, in whichever gifts you receive, and every I believe every Christian has received some gift or some mix of gifts, but Scripture makes it clear that not everyone is going to speak in tongues. In fact, Paul says that directly, not everyone will speak in tongues. So understand that the gifts are given as the Spirit determines. You can't learn it. You can't, you know, acquire it. Now, you can pray for gifts and ask God to receive one of the gifts of the Spirit. But in the end, He gives them as He determines, and by the way, they're for the building up of the body. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 29, which Jeff, you were referencing in 30, you know, do all, you know, do all have gifts of healing? And the the answer there is no. Do all have, do you speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But desire the higher gifts. The point is simply this. The Lord gives the gifts as to whom he sees fit to give them to for his purposes. Mm-hmm. Salvation is not based upon which gift you have. It's in whom you trust. And the thief on the cross trusted in Jesus. There's no evidence that he spoke in tongues or was baptized. And yet, he is in the kingdom of God, and I expect to meet him one day. All right. Nicely done. Appreciate that. A lot of theological questions can be simplified by that guy on the cross. You know, know, we've talked about him twice today. I know. Mm -hmm. So Jesus uh, hung around with a lot of non-religious people, people on the margins, and his... uh, his main criticisms were reserved for for the religious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, why do we uh, why do we stay so tightly knitted together in our own communities, and why aren't we more like Jesus, being in places where people would look at you and say, "Where are you going? Who are you hanging out with?" Yeah, it's like he should have told us to go into all the world or something, you know? It's like, <laughs> uh, which he Can't did, right? understand that. Yeah, his last command. You know, this religious question, I remember talking to a friend of mine, and we had about an hour discussion about Christ, about salvation, and so on. And they grew up in a re- very religious tradition. 
And I remember at the end of this conversation, after about an hour, an hour and a half, she said this to me. She goes, well, I don't know. I'm just fed up with religion. And I said, well, you know what? That's a good place to start. And she said, well, what do you mean? You're very religious. And I said, I don't, I'm not religious at all. Religion is man's ideas of how to reach God. What do we need to do? What rituals do we have to perform in order to please God or get to the higher plane or make it to heaven or whatever? Biblical Christianity is what God has done to reach us. True Christianity is a personal relationship with the risen Savior and not a religious system. And I think that's the devil's ploy. The devil wants to get us off target. Jesus is the target. He is the only target that we need to be concerned about. Now, all these other things, doing the good works and that, is all wonderful. And, and I encourage people to do that. But we miss the target constantly, and we're always trying to add something else to it. It is not Jesus plus. It is only Jesus. And that's where I focus on Jesus. The other problem, though, is this. Most Christians that go to church on a given Sunday have not been taught by their leaders that they are gifted people, they are ministers of the gospel, they are ambassadors of reconciliation, and that they can go out and proclaim the gospel and do things and go to the bars, quite frankly, and go to these other places and stand for Jesus. I mean, we, we would look at that as so bad. And yet, this is what we should be doing, because most of the people in those situations don't show up at the church until they're dying or until they're in deep trouble. I'd rather get to them before that happens. Good point. And, the, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 goes right to the heart of what you're talking about. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and it, this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. And I would define religious systems as being works-based exactly. so that no one can boast. But then you said God wants you to do these works. For the next verse is this, for we are God's workmanship created Reason. in Christ Jesus to do good works. Once you've been saved, once you've been declared holy by God, he wants you to live that life out and bear fruit for him. Yep. All right, this next question, Jeff, I'm already looking your way. Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm just, I'm starting, this is uh, out of Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. I'm going to open your Bible to Matthew 24 in the New Testament. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There you go, yeah. yeah. Okay. Verse 22. Yep. And the question is, uh, during our Bible study last night on Matthew 24, specifically verse 22, I thought that the chosen would have been raptured up by this time. Can you explain? Oh, good question. So Matthew 24 begins with the disciples asking Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he proceeds to give them an entire chapter of what will precede the end of the age. What's the end of the age? When Jesus returns. So at the end of Matthew 24, we see Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great great glory. As such, I believe all of Matthew 24 is the tribulation period, um, the seven-year tribulation that precedes the second coming of Christ. Now, your question, basically, your, the, the questioner assumes that we were should have been raptured at the beginning of that seven-year period, which I also believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. So the question is, it says this, if those dates had not been cut short, no one would have survived but for the sake of the elect. So who are the elect? I believe the elect here in Matthew 24 is Israel. And that Israel, who is the elect of God, they're the chosen one. He chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the chosen people of God. And I think the elect here is Israel. 
So Jesus, remember, the church hasn't even been formed here yet in Matthew 24. So if you understand this, the elect here in this verse as being Israel, then it makes sense. And his understanding of a pre-tribulation rapture can, is consistent then with this passage. Great answer. Tom, do you want to jump in on that at all? We don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because you look at First Peter. Now, it's interesting because there he uses the term elect for Christians, and yes. he's very emphatic about that. And in First Peter 2.9... And we are, by the way. We, we are, are the elect of God. He uses the same language for the church as he did for Israel. You are a chosen race, a holy nation, set apart by God to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So I don't know if that elect simply means Israel. I don't want to disagree with Jeff, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's exactly what it means. What I do know is this. If you are right with Jesus, no matter what comes you're going to be able to face it and deal with it in his way. There were many, many Christians, we, we forget oftentimes, that during the Holocaust, yes, there were six million Jews that were liquidated in the Holocaust. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But there were also 25 million Russians liquidated by Stalin. There were also many Christians not liquidated by the Nazis. Were all of those people unbelievers and didn't have any hope? No, there were many believers. And they went into the gas chambers knowing what was coming, and yet going in with confidence that they were going to be with Jesus. And I think that whatever happens, however it works out in detail, we need to be saddled on Jesus and ready for him because I could wind up with cancer tomorrow. I could wind up being hit by a car on the way home. I need to be right now. And if I'm right now, I'm going to be with, you know, I'm with him forever because of faith in him. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be back with more Guy Talk. Thank you for your great questions today. Keep them coming in if you want. 877-933-2484. Be right back. show guy talk is still happening extended version and doing a great job today guys do we miss peter yeah we miss peter <laughs> of we course we do we yeah do. we miss of him. course we do yeah great guys too yeah they're wonderful guys all right here's a question my cousin is uh unfortunately uh dying and her time is short i'm going to be with her in the next couple of days i have never heard her confess jesus as lord and savior i'm terrified that i'll say or do the wrong thing or get in the way of jesus can you guys recommend how I should approach this topic and how I can help her come to faith? Oh, man, now's the time. Mm. Um, if you haven't done it uh, before now, um, you need to start praying for the courage and the words right now before you meet her so that you are ready. And she needs to know and understand that it is appointed for men to die once and then face judgment. So her decision time... Uh, on this earth is coming to an end. And if that is truly the case, then she needs to know that God loves her, that Jesus died for her sins, and that all she needs to do is turn to him in faith, to believe in him, and she will be saved. And that decision will be the most important decision she makes. And remember, it's never too late to trust in Christ. You were talking earlier about, you know, just about to die. You can accept Christ on your deathbed, and you get the same inheritance of eternity. Yep. And the other thing you can grab onto is Solomon's words, that eternity is already in her heart. 
she has this longing for eternity. Deep inside, she knows there's a reality there. She may never have been able to put the pieces together. You have the opportunity to help her put the pieces together. And whether it is a simple presentation of the gospel, uh, I've asked many people on their deathbed, are you prepared to meet Jesus? I mean, that sounds very straightforward and harsh, Mm -hmm. but that's really what's coming. And I have had many people who have never made any confession tear up and say, I'm scared to death to meet Jesus. And, And I say, I can eliminate that fear by God's word if you want it. And I always ask them for permission. If you want it, I'll give it to you. Would you like it? Yes, I would. And then I'm able to share either the Roman road or some, you know, presentation of the gospel, pray and lead them to the Lord Jesus. And I find that people on their deathbed are more ready to talk about this than most people realize. But let's be honest. Most pastors that go to the hospital, the dying, don't spend a a lot of time with the dying, especially if they're in a coma. They're talking to the family where I learned I've got to go right to that person, even in the coma, and talk to them Hmm. and, and share scripture with them and tell them you know, what the plan of salvation is, even at that last moment. And I had one guy who had been in a coma for a year, and he came out of it, and I had seen him every week. And the first person he called was me, and he said, he scared me to death when he called me because he was out of this coma. He said, I remember every prayer. I remember every scripture verse. I remember every time you came. Wow. And without that, I don't think I'd have survived. Wow. And I had no idea he was hearing me. Mm. What but, happens when people don't want the answer to be the answer? If they don't want it. You, I've, I've said to people, I've had a few like that, that's your choice, mm-hmm. but it's a long eternity. Mm-hmm. If you want that, you've heard what it is, you can cry out to Jesus anytime you want, even at that last moment, whether I'm here or not, and you can be assured that he'll be there for you. And for this young lady who's going to share, uh, rem- some, you know, a lot of people in, in, in my classes, and when I ask them, what are the barriers to you sharing your faith and sharing the resurrection of Christ with people? And and they're all over the board, but, you know, one of them is just they're they're fearful of what will the person think, or maybe I do something wrong, or whatever. I love the line where Paul says, pray for me that I might proclaim it fearlessly as I should. Paul even asked for prayers that he might proclaim this truth fearfully, so or, or fearlessly, um, so... Yeah, so we yeah. pray for you and ask for God's power and strength for you to clearly uh, give give yep. the message of Christ. Rosie just handed me a note with a scripture verse on it, and I'll Great. read it. Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Yes, and I often pray that. As I'm on the way to the hospital, on the way to where the person is dying, I and I, as you guys know, I've been with a lot of dying people. I want to make sure that I speak for the Lord. I'm not there to speak for myself or my tradition. I'm there to communicate. And I'll be honest, guys, it's never the same. Each conversation is a little bit different. But the goal is the same. The goal is to reveal the Lord Jesus and to give people that opportunity, even at that very last moment. Good discussion. Here's a question, advice for born-again parents whose tender-hearted born-again son has fallen in love with a co-worker. She says she's agnostic atheist. We don't want to drive him closer to her with our words. How can we help? A lot of prayer, a lot of listening. That's a big one with your son. And and not either ignoring it or embracing it to the point where he doesn't have any concerns. He's got concerns. If if he has known the Lord or has any, there's a deep concern. But right now, the emotion of love is getting ahead of his logic. 
And what you want to do is help slow that down, not by criticizing him or please don't criticize her at all. You don't even go there with her. But keep I usually say to, to young people, well, I'm glad you're in love. What do you think Jesus wants in this relationship? What do you think Jesus wants out of your bride to be? What do you think Jesus wants you two to do for him for the kingdom of God? And most people never get asked those questions. So therefore, all they think about is she's the most beautiful woman I've ever met in my life instead of what does Jesus want in this relationship? And when you bring Jesus in and they start talking about it, um, it's fun to see what happens. Well, and you can also let them know what God's desire, what God's plan is for marriage uh, for Christians. And, uh, you know, Paul specifically says in 2 Corinthians 6 um, that you should not be unequally yoked. And so he, uh, God's desire is that a believer be yoked, married to a another believer, because he says, what does light have in common with darkness? So uh, that is God's design. And, you know, we don't always listen to God's design for us, even when in this case, it's clear what his plan is for us when it comes to marriage. Uh, but uh, yeah, you pray, pray and pray. And I've been there. When I was in college or high school and college, I fell in love with my high school sweetheart. She fell in love with me. We were together three years and she wanted to get married real bad, except she was an agnostic. She didn't believe in anything. At that point, I didn't think about Jesus. I thought about her. Mm-hmm. But along the way, the Lord started to work on my heart to say, uh-uh, it's not what I got for you. We went our separate ways. Two years later, I met my wife, and without Jan, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. She's mm-hmm. been the greatest helper and the greatest support for the ministry, which I wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. Solid. Thank you for that advice. It's good stuff. You don't want to be unequally yoked, that's for sure. But, you know, your heart feels what your heart feels, right? Mm-hmm. It does. Yep. Especially when you're young, right? <laughs> <laughs> Right. All right. So you guys almost had like a radio job today. It was fun. Cool. Did you guys have fun? We did. I loved it. Yeah. Some great questions and a lot of great uh, answers today. There's a lot of content on today's show that I want to go back and listen to a second time. Really good. Now, we've got some more questions, but we don't have enough time. So, Painful. Even the longer session (laughs) went went quick. It goes fast, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Yeah, So a lot of great questions came in. Thank you for uh, all your your great questions. Uh, I'm going to have a, a break coming up here just in a minute, but then I'm also going to invite uh, in the next half hour, uh, Dr. Cal Beisner. And there was a New York Times Magazine article that kind of threw cold water on climate catastrophism. Imagine that. It wasn't intentional, I'm sure, but uh, it's clear that they did it. And he's going to discuss um, that article with us. And it's going to be a fascinating discussion because, again, climate change is a very highly emotional discussion. It is. Yeah. So, gentlemen, thank you for being here, Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. Next week we will be back, probably with our other guys. I know Dr. Peter Kapsner is going to be out, I think, next week. Justin hopefully will be here. So that will be the team. Thank you so Good much to be with for you, Bill. doing such a great hour. Thanks, Bill. And thank you for your great questions. And don't go anywhere. And if you're in your car driving, you're probably not. You are going somewhere. So keep going where you're going. But uh, keep listening to Faith Radio. Thank you. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Sorry if there was a little bit of a tech issue. We're all solved and we're ready to go. So glad to have Dr. Cal Beisner back on the program. He's the uh, founder of the Cornwall Alliance, and he uh, has always got his finger on the pulse of what's going on with climate change and a number of other things. He and his uh, uh, fellow research uh, geniuses are part of uh, a think tank, which produces some amazing perspectives. Always glad to have Cal with me. Cal, hi, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you, Bill? I'm good. Uh, You sent me a very provocative article that uh, said the New York Times company, uh, which is kind of an unlikely source, kind of threw a a bucket of ice water on the climate catastrophe. Yeah, you can kind of call New York Times company uh, Climate Alarmism Central. Okay. But last month uh, in New York Times magazine, it published an interview with Václav Smil, who's probably the world's greatest expert on energy. Uh, and and uh, Smill just kind of dashed everything they said wow. to pieces just by pointing at reality. So <laughs> tell me some more of what was the exchange between them. Well, the the author of the article is uh, David Marchese. Marchese, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last mm-hmm. name. But um, he tries desperately to get Václav Smil to embrace the climate alarmist message. Uh, and and uh, he, he just goes at it in all sorts of different directions, uh, trying to get Smil to agree that climate change is a looming catastrophe. And we just absolutely have to act now to avert it. And the way to do that is by replacing fossil fuel energy with wind and solar and other so-called renewable sources. But Smill just won't take the bait. He calls emission cuts uh, unrealistic. They don't take into account uh, the vast scale of the energy needed to serve even the basic needs of the world's roughly 8 billion people. That's food, clothing, shelter, transportation, protection from cold and heat. Uh, let alone all the things that really elevate life above basic survival uh, and all the industry that makes those things. Uh, they, they don't consider what's necessary to produce and distribute all that energy. And so, as Smil explains, people have to realize that this problem is unprecedented because of the numbers, billions of everything and the pressure of acting rapidly as we never acted before. This doesn't make it hopeless, but it makes it, as Smil says, excruciatingly more difficult. Mm. Cal, maybe you would talk about the the difference between, say, catastrophism and concern, because uh, <laughs> that might be helpful. Yeah, well, concern says uh, we've got something here that could be a problem. Maybe we're even sure that it's a problem, Uh, but concern says uh, we can think of ways to deal with this and those ways can be realistic. Catastrophism says we've got a catastrophe on the horizon. Uh, Maybe it's already here. Some of the climate alarmists are already telling us that we have already done uh, tremendous damage to the world. The UN General Secretary Guterres has said that. Uh, He's called the most recent uh, UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report a red alert for humanity, Uh, although 
although the the report doesn't say anything remotely like that. And actually what it says is that we have, uh, for the most part, uh, fairly limited confidence in predictions of uh, somewhat troubling of warming, but nothing disastrous, nothing catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So this discussion that this uh, interviewer had with Smill, and it is uh, um, pretty compelling, and this guy is obviously, like you say, brilliant, and he was trying to get him to take the bait that we're just uh, facing this uh, civilizational threat, and mm-hmm. Smill just wouldn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, you know, Mar- Marchese tries, for example, he says, aren't there credible pathways to decarbonizing the grid? And, and Smill reply, replies, quote, Germany, after nearly half a trillion dollars, in 20 years, they went from getting 84% of their primary energy from fossil fuels to 76%. Hmm. Can you tell me how you'd go from 76% fossil to zero by 2030, 2035? I'm sorry. The reality is what it is. That's end of quote from Smill. And again, uh, Marchese says, well, we're facing an imminent catastrophe in climate change. Really? Here's how Smill replies. For more than 30 years, global warming has been making headlines. We've been aware of this for 30 years on a planetary scale. All these IPCC meetings, our emissions have been going up steadily every year. So here's the question. Why haven't we done anything? I could give you a list of things we could do, but we haven't done. Why do we keep saying it's a catastrophic problem, but do nothing about it? End of quote. In other words, <laughs> the world just isn't buying what the catastrophists are selling. That's so true. So, Cal, I know the current administration wants America to cut carbon emissions by 50 percent by 2030 and then achieve net zero by 2050. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know there's other nations that are sh- shooting for those goals as well. Uh, is that is that reality? Are we positioned to try to uh, go there? I mean, there's still billions of people that want to use fossil fuels. Absolutely not reality. Um, <laughs> I ended my article about this by quoting Thomas Robert Malthus, uh, who 200 years ago in his his book, an essay on population, wrote, what cannot be done will not be done. And that's that's the gist. Uh, that's what Smill is telling us. Uh, he puts it this way, again, from that interview. He says, there are these billions of people who want to burn more fossil fuel. There's very little you can do about that. They will burn it unless you give them something different. But who will give them something different? You have to recognize the realities of the world. And the realities of the world tended to be unpleasant, discouraging, and depressing. Mm. Wow. Just had a listener jump in. Maybe the New York Times is realizing that millennials aren't having kids out of fear of climate change, and a continuously declining birth rate is unsustainable for our country. Yeah, well, that's the case not just for America, but for pretty much all of the developed world. Um, Almost all countries in uh, Western Europe, uh, North America, Um, Australia, New Zealand, other places like that, developed countries around the world, uh, went to uh, uh, a fertility rate, that is a number of births per woman, uh, that is below replacement replacement level as long ago as the 1980s and 1990s. 
the United States is well below replacement level right now in fertility rate. I think we're around about uh, 1.4 children per woman. Uh, if it were not for immigration, the United States population would have begun shrinking probably about 10 years ago. What that means, of course, is there are fewer and fewer people around working to provide the uh, the, the production necessary to run the social welfare and, and social insurance programs that the Western world has embraced. Uh, you don't have enough people working to support retired people, so the populations are aging like crazy, and then you don't have the tax base to support the aged people. China has been facing this for a long time. Uh, China now has, because of selective abortion, uh, uh, roughly 120 males, uh, adult males, for every 100 adult females. That's causing all kinds of problems in China. In fact, they've, they've recently legalized uh, polyandry. Uh, we all know the term polygamy. That's a man can have more than one wife. Well, polyandry is a woman can have more than one husband. They've done this because there are so many men in China uh, who can't find wives because there just are not that many women because under the one-child policy, uh, people chose to abort female babies rather than male babies because they saw the male babies as their social security. Mm-hmm. Cal Beisner is my guest. Cal, I'm curious, what is, uh, what is wrong with the, the grand narrative of the climate change? What isn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We can Thank start. you. Next can question. Here. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's a perfect answer. <laughs> yeah, we can start here that the grand narrative of the climate change uh, catastrophist perspective sees our climate as an extremely fragile, uh, delicate uh, thing, whereas, in fact, what we know from climate history is that it's an extremely robust, resilient, self-correcting thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the climate change uh, catastrophist narrative says that by adding, uh, adding about 150 parts per million uh, of, of uh, carbon dioxide to the atmosphere over the last 200 years, we're going to cause disaster. Well, that's 150 parts per million. We're going from 280 parts per million, that's 28 thousandths of 1%, to 420 parts per million, that's uh, 42 thousandths of 1%, and they see that as disaster. Mm. Uh, one just, <laughs> that's not how nature works. It, it takes a much bigger uh, impact to cause disaster than that tiny, tiny change in atmospheric chemistry. There's also the problem that they're depending on computer climate models instead of on real-world observations. Uh, what, the, what the temperature history over the last uh, basically 42 years, 43 years, since we began using satellites to monitor global temperature, which give us, uh, gives us really pretty, pretty accurate and reliable data, uh, the computer climate models on average predict two to four times as much warming as we actually observe. Well. You know, one of the basic principles of science is that observation, tests, prediction, 
And if the prediction uh, contradicts the observation, you have to go back and, and redo the theory that produced the prediction. But the uh, the climate alarmists are not doing that. They're just doubling down and, and saying, okay, no, the, the models say this, and this is what's going to happen. Well, the models have been wrong over the last 40 years. Uh, there's no reason to believe them for the future. Mm-hmm. Dr. Cal Beisner is my guest. You can go learn more about Cal and his colleagues at cornwallalliance.org. Cal, you always have something interesting going on over there, some um, promotion, something that we can learn about. Yeah, we do. Um, Every month we offer a free educational resource as a way of saying thank you when Mm -hmm. people make a 100% tax-deductible donation of literally any size, doesn't matter how small. This month we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, study called The State of the Climate 2021 by Ole Homlund, who's a Scandinavian climate scientist. And this thing just brilliantly demolishes all of the claims of catastrophe in the climate alarmist movement. It's something that's well-written, readily understood by non-specialists, runs about 50 pages in magazine format, so it's more like about a 100-page book. So we're offering this free as our as our way of saying thanks when folks make a donation of any size and ask for it. All they have to do is go to cornwallalliance.org. That's cornwallalliance.org. Click on the Donate button, and as they fill out the donation form, just uh, when they come to the comments field, write in climate, uh, pardon me, State of the Climate 2021. State mm-hmm. of the Climate 2021, and we'll send them a copy. Sweet. Cal, I'm going to take a little break, but I'll give you the question in advance for when we come back, which is uh, usually something I don't do. But the question is, what about the notion that increasing CO2 will increase photosynthesis in plants and gradually increase global crop yields? That's the question for Dr. Cal Beisner when we return. Dr. Cal Beisner, he is the founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, which is a network of Christian theologians and natural scientists and economists and other scholars educating for biblical earth stewardship. You can learn more about him at cornwallalliance.org. So, all right, Cal, here's the question. I'll read it again. It came in. Uh, what about the notion that increasing CO2 will increase photosynthesis in plants and gradually increase global crop yields? Did that question come from a listener? Yeah. Yeah, that listener sounds like somebody who actually learned his basic biology. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, carbon dioxide is absolutely essential to photosynthesis. Uh, Plants use it uh, along with sunlight and water to create all of their fiber and everything else. And the more of it there is in the air in which plants grow, the better they grow. Um, We can sort of summarize it this way. For every doubling of carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere in which a plant grows, you get an average 35% increase in plant growth efficiency. The plants grow better in warmer and cooler temperatures. 
and in wetter and drier soils. That means they increase their range. They're going to grow in areas that used to be either too hot or too cold for them. Uh, and as they increase their range, all the different animals that depend on them also increase their range. So this is a very good thing for biodiversity. If people are worried about you know, species extinction, they should be really glad for this. The plants also make better use of soil nutrients, and they use less water. And so consequently, you just get more growth everywhere. One of the things that we've uh, seen as a result of this is that over about the last, oh, 40 years or so, uh, there has been a distinct greening of the earth. Satellites have been able to measure about a 30% increase in leaf coverage around the world. Uh, it's not happening absolutely everywhere, but it's happening in the vast majority of places. This is really good news. The best news about all of this is that since plants grow better with more CO2 in the atmosphere, you get more food for everything that eats plants or eats something that does eat plants. And, you know, I happen to be in all of this work that I do with the Cornwall Alliance precisely because I am particularly concerned about the world's poorest. Uh, how can they afford food, clothing, shelter, medical care, transportation, education, everything else? I want those things to be as inexpensive as possible to help these people rise up out of poverty and, and conquer it. Well, <laughs> more food for everything that eats plants or eats something that eats plants means more food for the poor, and that means lower prices. And that's just a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. Here's another question. Would Dr. Beisner speak to how the law of the conservation of matter applies to these issues? Law of the conservation of matter. This would be the first law of thermodynamics, that matter can be neither created nor destroyed, matter or energy. Uh, and, you know, um, actually, I'm not quite sure that. The second law of thermodynamics, uh, which says that all, uh, all energy systems tend toward, uh, toward um, uh, uh, decay, toward, uh, into, hmm, <laughs> the term is escaping my senior mind here, uh, but uh, entropy, tend toward entropy. Mm -hmm. um, what that tells us is that, uh, that we, we are not seeing a, uh, a loss of energy in the total climate system, but we are seeing a, uh, a redistribution of energy. And that's, that's what goes on all the time. Um, let me illustrate this, this one particular way. Um, because of the way sunlight enters the Earth's atmosphere, if there were no winds to move warm air from the equatorial region to the poles, the poles would be covered with ice all the time, and the equatorial region would be much, much hotter than it is. But because of both of the first and second laws of thermodynamics, the climate system works like a major heat transfer system. So hurricanes, for example, move heat from the equator to the poles, and then ocean, uh, ocean currents move cold from the, the poles toward the equator. And this helps to maintain a balance in the Earth's temperature over these regions. Um, now, some people fear that with global warming, you're going to have more hurricanes and stronger hurricanes. 
But the reality is that because with uh, greenhouse warming, the warming happens mostly toward the poles, mostly in winter and mostly at night, not toward the equator, not in summer and not during the daytime. The difference in temperature between equator and poles shrinks. And therefore, you can actually predict instead that you're going to have fewer and weaker hurricanes instead. Uh, I know that many global warming alarmists say the opposite, but uh, the, the evidence is strong on this. And the former director of the U.S. National Hurricane Center uh, uh, called me on the phone one day about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, uh, to say, uh, you said exactly the right thing when you said that. Stick by your guns, even when people try to try to uh, tell you that you don't have any business talking about this. Mm-hmm. Cal, there's a lot of families that have uh, younger members of the family growing up, and they're getting this message about climate change, and they're hearing the the uh, the, the catastrophic narrative. Um, and I'm curious as to maybe you could spend the last few minutes talking about just how the the climate uh, catastrophic narrative primarily affects the poor, the people that we that the Lord wants us to take care of. Yeah, this is something that has concerned me right from the start. It's it's what got me involved in all of this. Uh, in my in my uh, very early childhood, I lived in Calcutta, India, and I actually almost every morning I walked over, I, I stepped over the bodies of people who died overnight of starvation and disease. Uh, So I have a particular passion to prevent things from being done that slow, stop, or reverse the conquest of poverty in poor countries. Well, energy, massive amounts of energy, uh, inexpensive, affordable, reliable, scalable energy, that means uh, it's it's uh, there's enough of it to serve the needs of the billions of people out there, and dispatchable. That means you can get it anytime you want it. You flip the switch, and there your light is on. Uh, all of that is absolutely essential to lifting and keeping any whole society out of poverty. Well, there are only three really reliable, uh, affordable. Uh, dispatchable, scalable energy sources for us. Those are fossil fuels, hydro, run of river hydro through uh, dams, large dams with turbines, and nuclear. And unfortunately, the folks who are telling us that uh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket because of climate change are demanding that we stop using fossil fuels which currently provide about 85% of all energy used in the world. They are also opposed to building more dams on rivers to provide uh, hydro energy. And they almost all are opposed to expanding our use of nuclear. So what that means is they're asking us to stop using the energy that is essential to lifting and keeping whole societies out Mm -hmm. of poverty. They're asking us to send the currently wealthy societies back into poverty. They're asking us to trap the currently poor societies in their poverty long term. This is precisely why the Cornwall Alliance exists. Yeah. And we run articles on these things all the time at cornwallalliance.org. Cal, always fun to have you on the show. I always learn so much, and I appreciate 
all the work you're doing at the Cornwall Alliance. So thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Take care and God bless. Thank you. Dr. Cal Beisner has been my guest. CornwallAlliance.org. You can learn more about him. That's our show for the day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a wonderful night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.